I don't know if this is actually what you were looking for, but what you have found is the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. You can come here each week to listen to a replay of the sermon from our most recent Sunday morning service. We record these sermons so that anyone who might have missed the sermon can catch it later. This particular sermon was from June 11th, 2023, and the text was Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. So we've been going through the book of Hebrews for a little while now, as you have probably figured out. And it's a book that appears to have been a letter written to a group of Christians who probably came from a Jewish background. So they knew their scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, they knew Jewish history, they knew about sacrifices, they knew about the temple and the tabernacle. That was their background. And so This letter was written to them to encourage them to follow Jesus, and it makes a lot of reference to all of these things as part of the the, the flow of the letter. And so I've tried to sort of imagine this, what I would guess to be sort of an average reader, and sort of put it in in my mind in the picture of one person, making the person up a little bit, but, but imagining that this person was an individual, a man who had maybe been waiting for the Messiah his whole life. He'd begun now to believe that Jesus is indeed the Jewish Messiah. He, he had been wanting to know and obey God, and he had been studying the Jewish laws and everything, but now he was beginning to believe that Jesus is indeed God's son. But if I'm, if I'm, if I'm right about the original audience of the people who read this letter, the family of this man, his community, his also his friends, they would have been encouraging him to return to the Jewish faith, um, probably returning to something that they had been following and worshiping through for about 1,500 years, from Mount Sinai to about this time is a, is a good guess. So for 1,500 years, this man's community had followed God, worshiped God in this same way, and the people His family, his community, the members around him had said, please be faithful to this. We have been following the law that God gave us for 1,500 years. You have to do this to remain faithful to him, to have a relationship with him. Please stick with this. So these family pressures, these religious pressures, these societal pressures, they were on him. And these can be very strong, but into that comes the book of Hebrews or a letter. And and this was probably read at at a Sunday service, maybe like this, many, many years ago, or perhaps it was distributed and he took it home and read it himself. But the author of Hebrews is trying to say to this man, don't don't ditch everything Jewish, don't abandon scripture, certainly don't abandon God, but as you read that, understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you have been reading, everything that you have been following and practicing for all of these years. That was all pointing forward to Jesus. And the author quotes scripture, as he, as he often does, he quotes a lot of scripture, and he quotes scripture to say that Jesus is superior to angels, he's superior to Moses, he's superior to the priests. In fact, Jesus is our high priest. And the author tries to show that, yes, scripture contained the law, but it was all pointing forward towards something new, actually someone new, and that someone is Jesus. 
And so our, our passage for today, verses 1 to 18 of chapter 10, kind of summarized the first part of it summarizes the author's point. He kind of repeats himself a little bit. So if you've been here in previous weeks and then you listen to me today, you're going to say, hey, he's kind of a little bit repetitious, but don't, don't blame me. Just read the author of Hebrews. And if you don't like that, talk to him. Um, I'll be trying to make it. I told Emily, my goal is to not be boring. She said, well, you're trying to be interesting. I said, no, not boring. Um, so... There is a little bit of repetition here. I hope to, to avoid that too much. But the author does that because he is trying to stress some important points. But then the author gets to, I think, kind of the key point that he's been making from roughly chapter 7 up to this point. So we'll get there. But first, first verse 1, he says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, and not the good things themselves. So again, our, our sort of imaginary man, probably representing the original readers, this man's family, his community, they were encouraging to read and to follow the law. But Hebrews says, yes, the law was good, but it was not God's final plan. Instead, it was a preview of that final plan. So stop looking at the preview, and now and look at the real thing. The sacrifices under... That system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Again, that was, that was our big theme last week when we were here, but the author repeats himself again to say that the priest offered at the temple or the tabernacle before it over and over, but those sacrifices could never truly purify the people. But instead... Those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so here he quotes scripture to try to emphasize his point, to try to explain why he's saying what he does. He's actually quoting Psalm 40, 6 to 8, which is what I'm going to read. If you follow in Hebrews, you'll see that it's very, very similar. He's probably quoting out of the Greek translation of this, and this comes out of the Hebrew Translation into English. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. And then I said, look, I have come. As it is written about me in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. And this idea is something that's actually represented multiple times in Scripture, the idea that what God truly wants is for hearts that are transformed in obedience to him, doing his will. He doesn't necessarily need those sacrifices or those animals. Uh, Micah 6 is an example of this. In verse 6, we get the question, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly calves? And then in verse 8, we get the answer, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. So, so the author is presenting this idea that's represented throughout scripture. He's, he's sort of, I'm imagining, saying to this man, God gave you the law. He wanted those sacrifices, but they were a shadow. They were pointing towards what God would ultimately do. And what he has really wanted all along are people who live according to his will. He doesn't actually need the animals, but they were for you to give you a preview of what he was going to do. And Jesus came. Jesus did God's will. And what was God's will? 
For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And I think this is getting to sort of the theme that he's been building for. This is what God has wanted for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. In 11 to 14, the author kind of emphasizes that this sacrifice was made once for all time. And again, we talked about this last week. He kind of repeats himself, but it's something that's very important to him. He says in in 11, he says, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So the picture he's presenting is a high priest who is standing up there offering sacrifices, kind of imagining him running around over and over offering these sacrifices. He could never sit down and rest. But Jesus, however, he offered his sacrifice and then he sat down. And almost every place that I read as I was studying emphasized the same point here. This would have been written in a culture and time in which there weren't a lot of desk jobs. So people who worked were standing on their feet doing things. You sat down only when you were done. So that's not everybody has jobs like that today, but then you didn't sit till you were complete. So the idea of the priest standing, his job was undone, Jesus sitting He had finished. He had offered his sacrifice. It was over. The work was done. And now he was sitting, relaxing, kicking back. It was done. It was finished for all time, once and forever. And then we get to another sort of, another phrasing of, again, I think the author's main point, the climax that he's been leading toward. For by that one offering he made forever, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And so then he quotes from Jeremiah 31 to try to talk about this. We'll get to Jeremiah 31 in a little bit. But our imaginary sort of representative Jewish man here, he he genuinely wants to live rightly. He wants to know God. And his family, his friends, his community, everybody is telling him, if you want to be an upright person, and if you want to know God, if you want to be this Well, we have the law, we have sacrifices, we have the tabernacle, the temple. This is how you live rightly. This is how you know God. And the author of Hebrews is saying into that same situation, no, if you want to be a righteous person, if you want to live right, if you want to know God, there is Jesus and only Jesus, nothing more and nothing less than Jesus. And again, this This person that I'm talking about is is, is sort of imaginary, but I think it sort of represents who who the author was writing to. Everybody seems to agree that Hebrews was written to Christians from a Jewish background who were being pulled by their families, their communities, back into the Jewish faith. And so I'm trying to sort of, in my mind, imagine a specific person to help me understand how he was thinking as he was reading this. So maybe if if I'm... For me, at least, it helps me think of what it was like for the person who was originally reading this, or the people, the the, the church. But what does Hebrews mean to us? Because we come from a different background, a different situation. We're not being pulled by our family and our communities back to the Jewish faith. We don't have to be told to turn away from this that we followed for 1,500 years, because it was pointing forward, and we need to look that direction now. 
Well, Hebrews can teach us a lot of facts about who Jesus is, how his sacrifice worked, how this helped us be reconciled to God, but how does it resonate with us? And I, I was thinking, I, I don't have great experience in this area. Maybe some of you have more, but Hebrews might offer us a model if we're talking to people who are followers of some other religious faith. So that person might be sincere. They might be wanting to be upright and in full of integrity. They might be wanting to try to know God or whatever, whatever being they're, they're worshiping. And so perhaps we can follow the model of the author of Hebrews and we can talk about, about what they're doing and whether it's working. Are they transformed? Is this seeming to deal with their problem? And, and I think they'll arrive at the place of realizing the futility of this, the, the inability of these actions or these things to actually transform us. And into that, like the author of Hebrews, we can introduce Jesus. But this isn't an area of experience for me. I can well imagine, though, it might be a model of how we can talk with people in that kind of a situation. But what, what does it say for us? Because that, that's not us either, for the most part. And I think Hebrews was written, since it seems Hebrews was written towards an audience of people who really wanted to know God, they sincerely wanted to live upright and good and holy lives. They wanted to be good people. And the author is trying to show them the only way that this is possible. And let me, let me again read verses 10 and 14, I think, are capturing. This is where the author was getting there. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So this, if this is what you want, if this is where your heart is at and this is what you're longing for, then listen to my message, he's saying. It's through Jesus and only Jesus. So for that person with the Jewish background, he spends all this time talking about the futility of the Jewish law, the hopelessness that that person would have felt. And, and then he tries to say, here is Jesus. And I I was thinking when I was preparing this, sometimes if a, if a speaker says that uh, there was some futility or hopelessness in the Jewish law, that can make people feel a little bit uncomfortable because, well, didn't God give them this? How, how was God giving them something that was useless or futile or hopeless? And, and I think what I'm trying to say is that, well, imagine the priest. We talked last week about the Day of Atonement and the priest had to confess all the sins of the people as he laid his hands on the goat and then the goat was sent out into the wilderness to carry the sins away. And imagine what was going through the mind of the priest as he was confessing the sins. He might have been talking for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, it doesn't matter. And in the back of his mind, he knew that the longer he talked, there was still more people doing more sins and he would never get done confessing the sins onto this goat. At some point, he'd have to quit. And even as the goat was walking away, he knew that the people of the community were continuing to sin. There was something useless and futile in what he was doing on the Day of Atonement. So if, if it was all about just those actions, just the sacrifice, just the blood, just the goat, it was useless. And I think they knew it. But if it was a glimpse, if it was a foretaste, if it was something that was showing them that God had a plan and God was going to deal with it, then it wasn't useless. It was a thing of hope. God was going to deal with this. Right now, this is an image, a foretaste. The dim preview is the way it's worded in our translation of Hebrews of what God was going to do, a reminder of our sin and a preview of what he was doing. And in that way, 
the law was filled with great hope. But in and of itself, there was a hopelessness. So, so Hebrews was written to people in that, in that community who were thinking about it that way, who would have seen these sacrifices, they would have seen the priest do these things. And, and the author of Hebrews was saying, if you really, really want to be holy, look how futile that is, but let me point you towards Jesus. So it was written to people who wanted something more. They realized there was a need for something more. And I've been thinking, maybe the, the, uh, an application for this is I think there are people like that around us now who still want something more. And maybe the way the author of Hebrews approaches his thoughts is so sort of a lesson for us as we talk with them, as we relate to them. There are people who long to be better people, people who want to live upright lives, people who want to connect with something or someone that is bigger than themselves, and into that place we can bring the message from Hebrews. Some months ago, my family was at a service somewhere where the speaker talked about how, I don't remember his exact words, something about how sad is it that in our culture, People don't even know they're broken or fallen. They think they're perfectly fine. So we as Christians, we have to try to convince them of their sin. We have to show them that they're actually sinners. And then after we convince them and show them of their brokenness, then, then we can introduce them to salvation. But as we left that service, then Emily asked Irene, she said, is does that seem correct? You, you spend your days with, with people at school, with other high school students. Does this, seem, does this seem correct? And Irene said, no, I'm not sure that that's true, at least not, not always. It seems a lot of the people around, they, they know they're not who they want to be. They want to be something more than who they are. The standards they follow, they, they might not align with God's standards, but even their imperfect standards, they know they don't meet them. They want to be something more. They want to be something they're not, but they think it's hopeless. And that's, that final sentence has sort of stayed on my mind in those months since that conversation. It's kind of almost haunted me. They think it's hopeless. You see, to people like this, and I'm going to be 45 this summer, and I was spent all my life in the church, and I, I found myself reflecting. It's like, for all of this time, it seems like the church has been saying to the people around us, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, it's terrible. And so, well, yes, it's true, but so many already know that, and all we do is we speak more condemnation. But the author of Hebrews brings hope, and I think the message of Jesus should bring hope to people who already feel hopeless. I know there are some people who are, who are totally rebe in rebellion stage. They're proud of their evil. They're proud of their rejection of God. They're proud of their rejection of what is moral and right. That's a different group of people. There are other people who long to live upright lives, but they're going to do it on their own, and they're not going to have anybody else. Thank you very much. To those people, I don't think Christianity has anything to offer them. But, but there are others who feel brokenness. They feel their struggles. They long for more, and they feel hopeless. So I'm not trying to say that we should just ignore sin, but I wanted to look at Matthew 3 and Matthew 4, two different verses there, or three actually, as maybe a model. John the Baptist began his ministry and talked about in Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. And his message was, repent of your sins and turn to God 
for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, when we're told his ministry starts in Matthew 4, Jesus actually begins with exactly the same message as John the Baptist. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So they didn't ignore sin. They started with the message of repentance, but they didn't stop there. They went on towards hope. The kingdom is coming. It's near. It's here. So the author of Hebrews, he doesn't ignore sin either. In fact, if, if, you, if you don't want to deal with that, maybe, maybe go on vacation next weekend. It, the rest of Hebrews chapter 10 gets really interesting. So you're, you're warned and come and go at your choice. But the he, author of Hebrews doesn't ignore sin, but the author of Hebrews focuses on a message of hope. You've looked at the futility of what you've lived with for your life and your community and your culture, but it's all pointing towards Jesus, and you can be in relationship with God for eternity through Jesus. So I don't know how to share the message of Jesus with people who are in full rebellion mode, those who are evil know it and proud of it. Maybe somebody has something, or maybe there's nothing we can do until God can work in them through his spirit, and it's in his hands. I'm not sure and those people who are perfectly satisfied with how good they are. I don't know if there's anything for us to do there. That seems to be who the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. And they, they seemed satisfied with who they were. They were better than other people, and that was good enough for them. And, and notice they didn't, they didn't usually respond terribly well to the message of Jesus while he was walking on the earth. There's people like that today, and, and uh, a surprising number of them are probably in the church. They're satisfied with who they are. They're good enough in the rest, and they don't really need Jesus. Thank you very much. I don't know that there's anything that we have to offer those people either, but there are people who long for something more, people who know they're broken, people who are hurting, people who want to be better than they are. Some of them, some of them don't embrace God's standards at all, but even their inadequate standards, they realize they're imperfect. Many of these people private turn to various religious practices, various things of spirituality in our culture, and they find that it still is empty and it's still hopeless. And I think these are the people that the message of Hebrews comes to. So whether it's that old Jewish law or whether it's some sort of modern secular spirituality, when people begin to realize this is hopeless and it doesn't bring transformation and it doesn't deal with their sin problem, then we get to Hebrews the message of Hebrews is that there is hope, and the hope is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. So don't go, don't go home and say bad things. I'm not saying we shouldn't call people to repentance, but don't stop there. Go one step further like Jesus did and bring the message of hope. And sometimes people already know that they're broken. They've already received the, the idea of repentance. Just go straight to hope. And some people will still reject Jesus. They may continue to turn to something else. Some people may, may refuse to accept Jesus because they still want to do it on their own without admitting they need anything. That's going to happen. But for some, some who recognize that they need something and some who are willing to turn for somebody for help, they can turn to Jesus. And to them, God offers a beautiful message of hope. Whether they receive it is up to them, but he offers it. And it's characterized in Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read that. It's Author of Hebrews quotes this multiple times, and I'm going to close with these verses. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor the need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. You've just spent about 25 minutes of your finite life listening to a sermon. And it was originally from June 11, 2023, and the passage was Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. Take care.